I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a story about modern architecture, Southern California design, and family. Not necessarily in that order. The coronavirus seems to be all we talk about these days because that's all we can think about. I've been trying to be as productive as possible, but it's challenging, and I think you feel it too. But gosh, it's challenging, right? And the news always seems to continually be getting worse. That being said, there have been some positives that have come out of this. The time spent focused on work without that daily commute, that two-hour daily time suck, that waste of time. I'll tell you, it's been amazing. I've been so much more productive. Then you factor in the time spent with family. That time is invaluable. That's one of the reasons why I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with David Thompson of Assemblage Plus, a Southern California architectural firm producing some amazing work. David's a unique talent, and he's been joined by his father, Richard, a highly accomplished architect in his own right. This son-father duo is producing some truly unique design, and you're going to hear how that all fits together. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. And it's funny, it's, it feels like, I feel like I just saw you. Yeah. I did, did, at West Edge. Yeah. Did you have fun? I did. That, I did. It was a lot of fun. That was, panel was great. Yeah, it was did very you enjoy cool. That? I did. I really did. I enjoyed the other people on the panel. I just enjoyed being in that environment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting a chance to talk about design and architecture is, you know, one of my passions. So it's sometimes hard to shut up. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Especially once you get going. And But that's what I like about... Do you do a lot of speaking at events like that? Uh, I don't, but I'm. We're getting, uh, we're getting more into it and trying to get ourselves out there a little more. I've noticed that some people love it, some people hate it, and some people hate it but do it anyway. Yeah, I think I'm just starting to get to that point where, uh, you know, just kind of learning what my voice is really, I think, what it is is really about and feeling like um, I've always had a lot to say. It's just being able to hone it into a place to say it. And so I feel like kind of we're trying to get myself out there more so I can speak more. So it's I don't know if I love it or hate it. but Isn't that interesting? There's a, there's a difference between knowing the subject matter mm-hmm. and being able to do the subject matter and knowing the subject matter, being able to do it, and being able to talk about it. Totally. Well, I think some of it is just when, it, when you're speaking about things that come from within and you're passionate about them, they're easy to talk about. Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm finding and when I'm learning about my own voice is to kind of like not totally go by a script, but like find out what is inside that really is passionate. And when you can speak that way, it can come out and be very easy to do. That's what I'm kind of learning. Yeah. And you have an interesting story. Yes. And I was really excited to talk to you. And we were talking beforehand about Tulane and Mm -hmm. architecture school. When did, when did you know that's what you wanted to do? Uh, Well, that's a great question because it goes way back because I grew up in an architecture family. Um, So I've been around architecture since infancy. And uh, so for a long time, 
I wanted nothing to do with architecture. <laughs> okay, and by the way, so backing up a second, yeah. and I want to I want to get to this too. The fact that you have a practice, yeah. and you work with your dad, yep, and which I think is amazing. Oftentimes, you hear about like the family business. Dad starts the business, and son comes in to join the family business. That's not exactly how this one works. No, no, no. But you've been exposed to this since you were a kid. Yeah. So. When you say that you wanted nothing to do with the family business, I totally get it. Yet, and I've heard this before. You just sort of you you came back around to it. Why? Well, so I was around the business. So, like you know, driving to baseball practice as a young kid, and my dad's driving slowly through neighborhoods, staring at houses. I'm like, Dad, I need to get to practice, and uh, and so it was kind of always frustrating. It was just sort of like the talk at the dinner table all the time, and it was just sort of like you know, trying to find my own voice and figuring out what I wanted to do. And it was actually a trip that I went with my mom to Greece and we found ourselves in the Acropolis and I'm standing there and I lost my breath. And it was, I don't know if it was exactly that moment, but that's the way the story is sort of playing out for me now that all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is what they do. I get it. I'm feeling it. And now I kind of come back and I'm kind of putting this all together. And I started to kind of make a relationship to what my dad did and sort of understanding why he's driving slowly through neighborhoods and understanding what he's kind of feeling from buildings. And it was right at that time where I was starting to, like I took an elective in high school and then I was starting to get ready to apply to colleges. And I was just like, I don't want to be my head in a book. I want to do this. And uh, it was kind of that moment. It was a real epiphany for me to kind of understand and be so moved by space that it really kind of changed my path um, or created my path. I don't know that I had a path to begin with. So that was kind of the start. And then going to Tulane for School of Architecture um, was also sort of because I didn't, I wasn't, my dad was very artistic growing up and I don't know that I had affinity for it. I had affinity for creativity. So when I was at school, I was, you know, trying to find this artistic voice and trying to find out how to interpret these things into the architectural medium. And, uh, I was struggling a little bit. Like we were reading a lot about architecture was in the, you know, the mid to late eighties. And so there was a lot of that arca speak going on and it was like, confusing me and my brain was like ah and I had a professor there who really spoke about the experience of architecture and I and that, and that was where I can kind of connect back to my ex- experience at the Acropolis to be like oh yeah I get it that is it's not about words it's about something that's really inside of us and how different spaces can move us and that was where I got kind of passionate and I started to understand a little bit more where my passion lies in architecture where does the passion lie within architecture? Um, you know, I'm just very moved by the way um, architecture and space can have such an impact on our lives in so many different ways and so many different, um, you know, um, different places in architecture, but that it can, you know, it shapes our lives. It shapes our lives in good and bad ways and all around us. We're com- com- continually surrounded by it. And I just, I love that part of the medium where it has a real practical, um, you know, practical piece in our world, but then an artful piece too. So the two can, can, when they, when they really work together, I find it to be just, you know, extremely inspiring. I I totally agree with you. We're going to get back to the, to uh, our conversation with David in a moment. This is a new segment of the show called wellness tips for a healthy mind, body, and soul. This topic has been coming up more and more lately. And while this is certainly not a new topic, more clients have been asking for health and wellness worked into their designs. I started asking around a while ago, and there have been some really interesting ideas taking shape. You know, I make a trip to Las Vegas in January every year, sometimes February, during KBiz, the kitchen and bath industry show. About four years ago, I noticed an increase in the number of vendors with products designed to make the bathroom more spa-like. It was an aha moment for me, and I started asking designers and architects more about this in the interviews that followed. Over the past few years, there have been way more products and companies featuring products that focus on health and wellness in design. 
These products are focused on clean water, air quality, noise reduction, and light purity, in addition to limited and unwanted light. Once a month, we're going to explore these ideas and see how design and architecture are once again not only making places to live, work, and play, but make those places work better, live better, healthier, more peaceful. Check out the Moment of Zen, where we explore ideas for a more peaceful space. Each of the following ideas features a designer you should know, and I will tag their designs on Instagram with the hashtag CXD Moment of Zen. CXD Moment of Zen. That's the hashtag. So you can easily find all of these designs. The first topic I wanted to cover is Wabi Sabi. An outdoor shower can create a peaceful transition between a long day and the peace that comes from being at home. An outdoor shower hosted by Blomendal, Netherlands-based Woodlands House, was placed in a space without overthought in design elements or ultra-lux materials, yet its appearance is incredibly pleasing. It made me feel like I found a long-lost treasure. So go check that out. Blomendal, Netherlands-based Woodlands House. Uh, and again, hashtag CXD, moment of zen. Second topic is making it natural. There are few things more peaceful than observing nature. At Concrete Geometric, so check out Concrete Geometric on Instagram, they posted what they call little octahedrons in small concrete geometric concrete planters from at Stuff Hollywood. These little miracles can bring peace at first sight. A little green makes for a lot of zen. The third topic I wanted to explore is solitude. Joey Ramirez of Studio Joey, you spell it like this, S-T-U-D-I-O-J-H-O-I-E-Y, at Studio Joey on Instagram, created a spectacular bath that created the feeling that you're at your favorite spa. Everything in this space provides the feeling of solitude, from the steam shower and lighting to the exquisitely crafted tile work. There's a window inside the fully enclosed frameless steam shower that gives this peaceful inside-out feeling, this natural feeling like you could be outside. So you could be, you could be happy spending hours in this masterfully crafted bathroom. So there you go, three ideas uh, for you to consider exploring in your future projects. Zen is a state of mind. Designing for wellness is more important now than ever before. Thermosol is a brand created over 60 years ago to incorporate steam showers and sauna into any project you can design. They have also integrated cutting-edge technology into their products, allowing you to set individual profiles for every user. It's set temperature, chromotherapy, aromatherapy, listen to your music or watch your favorite shows while taking a relaxing steam shower. You will be absolutely amazed at just how easily it is to specify Thermosol products for every project you can design. Check them out online at thermosol.com. And keep in mind, every month we're going to be posting more of these Moment of Zen, Designing for Wellness, presented by Thermosol. Thank you, Thermosol. You know, it's really interesting for me. The podcast is entering year seven mm-hmm. next year. When I started doing this, I started it because I was ex- I was just incredibly passionate, still am, about design and architecture. I love this. I'm not a designer. I'm not an architect. I, I'm just I'm just an enthusiast. I, I just I absolutely love it. Me too. I know that, <laughs> and I love that, and that's why I love having these conversations. But I'll tell you something. I'll share. You know, when I first started doing this, talking to designers has always been easy for me, because we can talk about. It's almost like designers sort of are the are the touchy-feely ones yeah. and the architects are responsible for the math to make sure that the designer space doesn't fall down around them right and even when i started doing this i would have some conversations with you know very you know highly accomplished architects and i had a hard time at the start because it was always about well when you know i wanted to build a structure where the light hit it this way and then the angles this and then and it was like but that's not experience that's not experiential yeah And then I finally learned to just sort of shut up and eventually it just takes architects, some architects, not you, but it takes some architects a little bit longer to get around to the experiential side of of architecture. You kind of figured that out early. Yeah, well, I I, I think 
for me, uh, it's also about a connection to people, right? Because ultimately, it's all about people. It's about, you know, we're, our, we're people, architects are people, creating architecture for other people. And so there is something about that connectivity, about the human experience of all these spaces that I find to be extremely inspiring about, you know, the, the connectivity to the human spirit and to the human experience in these spaces. And so, you know, I find that to be, you know, one of the more inspiring pieces is depending on what you're doing is the connectivity to people. Do you, do you find that once that was explained to you, once this instructor, once this professor sort of explained to you and gave you an opportunity to sort of expand those horizons a little bit, did that change the way that you saw architecture? Yeah, I don't know if it, in an instant, but there was definitely an aha moment for me because I felt like reading and trying to understand, certainly at that time, this speak, it was like I didn't understand how you could create and put space into words, right? And like for me, that aha moment of being like, oh, yes, it's something that's on a different level that where we connect to spaces, our souls connect to spaces. And you can tell when those are good and when they're bad. And it's not even indicative, like the only ones that are positive are the ones that are good ones. It's it's just how we relate to the built environment and to the world, you know, just nature in, in itself. Um, it was a bit of an aha moment to sort of understand that connectivity to our souls and how this art form while it has real practical and important pieces in that in various different me, uh, uh, building types throughout architecture, it does have a connectivity to the soul and the art part that I think to me is what is like really inspiring about the medium. Just curious, when, when you had that aha moment, after that, did that change the working relationship or, or the architectural relationship with your dad? Oh, for sure. I mean, it was finally like I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine this, and I feel like you just learned a, a different language, yeah. And you were able to talk in that language, like you guys were able to communicate on, in a in a different space. But you're an adult; it's not that you grew up with that. It's like it happened yeah. overnight. Well, it was it was it was definitely you know, uh, I mean, he's always and since that moment when I got into architecture school, he's always been my greatest resource for all things architecture. Like I could always go to him about a problem when it was in school or when it was later on in my career. He's always been that greatest resource for me. And it and, it, and um, you know, I've always been so inspired by him and his work, albeit very different than what I do. Um, he's always been that source and it's created a different type of relationship from a father-son perspective and as friendship and something that we can uh, relate to and experience together and enjoy that piece together. I think that, you know, in the, in the way that he has joined my firm, it's also given him something where, you know, he can sort of sit back, watch my success happening, sit there and be so proud as a father, be a part of like the young energy of this, of our firm. Um, so I think it goes both ways in way that it created a new opportunity for us as a relationship as, it, as for father and son and friend to friend and architect to architect. So I think it's been a unique, it doesn't work for everybody. Not everybody can work with their parents and so on. And for us, it really works. I think the way we've set it up really works and, um, and it's mutually beneficial for both of us. And I think it's a great way. It's, it's, it's a great gift for me to give to him after his illustrious career to sort of allow him to sort of uh, end his career, you know, with us and doing what we're doing. So it's a great gift I get to give. I didn't think about it from that perspective. I was thinking about it from so many other different angles, but not that one. That's really, really cool. When did you start the firm? Uh, I started the firm in 1997. Right. Okay. And then he joined you? Uh, I want to say it was six or seven years ago. Okay. I could be wrong. Somewhere okay. around that time. So okay. he was at, uh, he had his own firm for many years, um, of which I grew up in, you know, as a young kid. Right. Um, and he had that for a long time. And they were doing, uh, he's an urban planner, so their scale was a, a bit different. Um and then he left his firm after a number of years and went to AC Martin for a long time. So he was at AC Martin for, I want to say, 20 years. Uh, I could be getting the dates wrong, but about 20 years. And when he was sort of kind of done with the corporate world, he was ready to go, you know, start a consulting business. And I was like, 
well, we've always talked about working together and never really had the opportunity. And I said, well, if you're going to consult, why don't you just come and consult from my office and, and you know, you can work as hard or as easy as you want. And, uh, it just worked out. And so it's been, it's been, I want to say it's about eight years now and it's worked out really great. How did, how did that change the practice? How did that change the way you worked within the practice? Um, well, actually, it didn't really change much in the way I work in the practice. I mean, what it, what it offered us is an opportunity to go after other kinds of work that we might not go after without him. Um, but I, I did want to, I mean, in, in your typical father-son type of working relationship, because we're flipped and that Richard joined my firm, part of it was that I didn't I, you know, I'm young still and I'm grinding it to keep this firm going and to fight to keep it alive. And I never wanted that to be his place. I said, you know, he's, he's grind, he's been grinding the profession for many years and I never wanted it to be that for him. I wanted to make sure that assemblage could stand on its own two feet and then he could bring to the firm in a way that works for him and where he is in his career and that the firm wasn't necessarily dependent on his involvement or engagement for the success of the firm. And so that at any time, if he said, you know what, I'm going to go take a six week vacation, Great, go do that. And it, I think it, it allowed him to be in a position where he could um, engage with the profession at this stage of his career in a way that felt um, more, um, just more inspiring for him as well. So, and I, and I imagine that for you, it gives you the opportunity to grow, to grow your firm yeah. in, new, in new and different ways. Probably if you had to try to go out and find someone to fit in that so that you could go in that direction, it would almost be impossible. Oh yeah. And I would never find somebody with, you know, a 40 year, 40 year resume like his and, or, or longer and, uh, and have the kind of knowledge. So that, you know, that's the other thing is that he's just, he's been this great resource for us in all things architecture. So he's a body of knowledge. He's our token gray hair, uh, even though I've got some now too, but he's our token gray hair. So, you know, this, this business is about experience, right? And, and we have that great experience, a body of knowledge that just helps us to navigate all kinds of problems. And uh, we have, he has years of solving problems. I now have years of solving problems. And so that's what we do. We solve problems. We're continually solving problems, both architecturally, but business-wise, um, relationship-wise, all kinds of different ways like that. So we have a great body of knowledge by which to attack these problems and solve these problems. And I'm glad that you brought that up because as, as I was looking at a lot of the projects that assemblage has has accomplished a lot of the things that you guys have done, both real and conceptual, of which some I'm not sure that they've actually been built or if they're if they've just been ideated and drawn up and mm -hmm. not real. But you know, being a native Angelino and seeing what other cities around America look like, and particularly what what LA proper, what LA Metro, what what LA OC, IE Ventura, whatever what we look like now. We are in desperate need of architectural guidance with city planning specialties. Oh, my goodness. Because clearly that was, I mean, it is clear. It was, that was never done in Los Angeles. It was kind of like, hey, let's go build here. Hey, that, that part of town's popular. Let's go yeah. build over there without thinking how everything. I think a lot of it had to do with the way the city, um, the city sprawl happened around the automobile. So, you know, there, the city planning was based on a different type of transportation. And I think that that's where we'll see some really, or where we have some really great opportunity to, to make some really advanced and incredible movements in the city as we grow over the next 25 to 40 years. We really could see if, if, we, if we have the right people doing it and the right people thinking about it in a way that is innovative in the pioneering spirit that LA is born on, we can have, uh, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, significant transportation and growth cities in the country or in the world, frankly, if we do it right. I hear what you're saying. And while I don't disagree with you, I don't totally agree with you either. When you talk about the pioneering nature in which, you know, Los Angeles was, was founded and created, I mean, 
we are we are a city that continually eats itself demolishes itself and rebuilds upon yes. upon the bones i mean you have we had a battle over streetlights in the early 1900s over who could do who could come up with a better system right. for electricity right they built something then tore it down to build something else and then tore it down to build something else which still needed to be changed you had the original Wrigley Field in Anaheim home of the angel what was to be the angels but then mm-hmm. they couldn't figure it out that's why we have Chavez Ravine which was not exactly built uh, without without trauma oh, big time. It used to have a mile long dirt uh, sorry um, wooden automotive racetrack in the heart of what is now Beverly Hills you know we're tearing down iconic architecture like it's nothing yeah this is a city we're we're overdeveloping we're putting things on road diets we're we're building things in places you know so now we're going to we're going to put a light rail subway between downtown LA and and Santa Monica and all of these places where you just tried to drive through as fast as you could before are now valuable property it's 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 the planning right it's not the can we do it we've always proved we could do it here sure sure it's it's how do you plan it and how do you do it i look at <clears throat> I look at some of the projects that Assemblage has done, and mm-hmm. one that really sticks out in my mind is um, Hangzhou Eco City. So, yep. tell me about the origin of of that project, because when I look at that, first of all, I have to ask: is it conceptual or is it real? Well, those are conceptual. Those are master plans okay. that we've done. So, those are projects that Richard has brought into the office, and from his master planning experience, and. Um, you know, there, there are relationships that he's built over the years that give us that opportunity to look at that scale. So we're able to take our, our abilities and look at that scale, which is very different than the scale that, that I was involved in early on. Tell me about the idea of that. And is, is, that, is that something that is tangible? Is that, a, is that a real concept that could be executed? I, be, I believe so. I mean, I think I think for sure it's the, those opportunities are available to us. I think I think it goes on to the notion of what you're talking about that if we can, you know, when when we do these master plans, we we put bold ideas out there and we push hard for those bold ideas, and then they require the follow through and the ability to kind of take those pioneering ideas and put them in place in all of those different manners. So I think that they, I think that many of those master plans are opportunities that are, that bring really great ideas, but they need the follow-up. And sometimes when we do those master plans, they get shelved for a long time and then we don't get the opportunity to kind of follow through with them. Um, it's what we're trying to get more of that we can sort of be involved in that master plan and then be a part of the execution of some of those plans. Now, many of those master plans when they're on those level and those scales are very long time frames, and that's the way that some of those kind of work. And I think some of them, like the Metro plan that's here, are things that, you know, those plans are overall visions, but take many, many, many steps to get to that vision. And they have to be planned out properly to say, here, this is the first step, here's the second step, and so on, that gets us with the vision always at the forefront. So they're challenging. I don't want to go all the way back. Yeah. But if Tom Bradley, Mayor Tom Bradley came to you and said, you know, LA's got a, we've got some issues with growth. You know, I'm, I'm going to put it at the time frame, you know, 70s, 80s, right? What, what might you have done? Well, knowing what I know now. Knowing what you know yeah, now. Yeah, knowing what I know now. Um, I guess uh, the embracing of the densification of Los Angeles. Again, I think transportation and moving people around the city and alternative methods of transportation and then i think that city planning uh, city planning ordinances to densify around larger boulevards larger transportation corridors to allow incentives for developers to develop around those types of corridors allow for those transportation nodes to then also be less used, right? Because if we have more mixed use type of development along those boulevards where people can live and shop and do all the things that their their lives need, then the transportation challenge would be less. But, you know, there's uh, many of these boulevards have been 
downsized and things like that so that you're still looking for sprawl. So people have to still get to those areas where amenities are, where, uh, you know, shopping or offices and things like that. And I think knowing what we know now, if we had a better city planning in place that allowed that densification around those boulevards and transportation nodes and things like that would have, I think, helped uh, some of the the sprawl of the of the city. And I think that that, if done right, that's where we can you know improve upon ourselves and learn from all the other cities that have done this, um, and hopefully take advantage of that in the next twenty five to forty years. Does that idea not totally? position assemblage for for taking on it's not even an infill issue because infill like a city like la infill really isn't an issue anymore yeah right it's it's kind of you gotta start over it yeah i mean in some ways it feels like you have to scrap the old plan and start over and and i think the challenge with that from an architectural perspective um or being an architect and doing that is so much of that is now about politics Right. Because yeah. you have yeah. to getting those plans to change and really getting people to support those kinds of ideas is about, you know, kind of getting people behind your vision and your idea. And a lot of that becomes a political movement, certainly on the scale of city planning like that. So, yeah, that's challenging. So and not not all architects are set out to be politicians. That's for sure. No. Right. <laughs> no. It's so true. Yeah, it's so true. But but you kind of have to now if that's the direction you want the firm to go. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love, I mean, I love to create and I love to create on all kinds of levels architecturally. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do find um, that sometimes the challenge of uh, growing our firm is the, the more you grow, the more disconnected you get from the actual work. And like some of the things we love to do is sit down and sketch or draw or design and stuff like that. And the, the bigger we get, the more you're starting to put that off on uh, other people. And you know, that's why we have great people in our firm and talented people that can take those tasks and move them. But when you start to talk on that level and your life becomes more political, do you get disconnected from the work? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. But yeah. at some of the, you know, I, I want to stay connected to the work. I love to create. One of the things about architecture I love more than anything is the notion of building something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. I love that we can take raw materials and put them together in a practical and artful manner to make something great. Um, so I love that piece of it. And, um, you know, there's already a very elongated process in all of this that, that, you know, you come up with an idea, you've got to stay with it for a number of years until it's realized. And when you start to get into the larger scale urban design or planning kinds of things, that time frame is really elongated. So being able to kind of stick with that is, you know, and, and not seeing the realization of that for a very long time, uh, I think is, is a challenge. But, you know, we're certainly up for the task, but I don't think I would ever want to lose sight of being able to do things where we can see its realization happen in a time frame that's uh, not immediate. I don't, need, I don't need things to be immediate at all. Um, but, you know, we want to see we want to see things happen and be able to experience them and and uh, be a part of that process, too. Moving to real projects, as well as some additional conceptual ones. Um, tell me about the Cactus Club. Uh, well, the Cactus Club is a hospitality group out of uh, British Columbia, Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, they have a, an incredible outfit of just doing a casual fine dining across Canada. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate enough to get involved with them, uh, I want to say seven or eight years ago as well, um, partly because um, they look to California as an inspirational uh, ground for brown, groundbreaking um, hospitality work and design. And the owner of the company really loves design. And we, uh, we did a Hillstone restaurant on the South Beverly Grill, and we won an award for it. And uh, it was really quite a storybook story. I, uh, uh, the awards program was at the uh, uh, Dwell on Design. Uh, we won the award for best restaurant. And I'm coming down off the podium with my, my award plate. And uh, I'm walking over actually towards my dad. And these three guys kind of stepping 
in between us and they're like, hey, congratulations, we love what you do. Would you be interested in coming to Canada to do restaurants? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we've had this eight year long relationship with them doing restaurants all across Canada. And um, I think they're, they're a great outfit. They're, uh, in, they're quintessential Canadians. They're just really nice and great people to work with. But I think the thing that I love about them the most is that they, um, they believe that good architecture and good design is a part of their brand. And so uh, I don't have to sell that to them. They feel that. And I think they look to California for inspiration and they look, you know, and so they were looking for that kind of um, sensibility and we were able to deliver that. And uh, it's been a fun journey and we've, uh, we're doing a bunch more projects for them. But, but again, I think the, the thing to me that, um, I mean, I think hospitality is a very interesting um, interesting medium in the world of architecture. I never set out to be a restaurant architect, but um, you know, we're, we're excited again, I think, to get people that believe that good architecture and good design make for better places. And, and certainly, it's a, for them, it's a sellable, sellable commodity. They believe that good design and good architecture is worthwhile and makes their brand better. So I, 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 I aspire to have clients like that all the time. Yes, and it's special too. This is one of the things that I'm so fascinated by. You know, I remember my early days in college working hospitality and working service industry and, and waiting tables and bartending. The thing that I learned early on about hospitality, which has changed over time dramatically, but a couple of things remain the same, which I think are, are diametrically opposed to what an architect or a designer tries to do with the space. Hospitality, a restaurant. They, you want the customer to feel like they're home, but you don't want them to live there. You, you want them to have an enjoyable experience. You want them to really get the most out of every moment that they spend there, and you want to keep those moments as few as possible because you got to turn the tables. <clears throat> When you think about those two things, they're really diametrically opposed, but as, as you design a space for a specific purpose, certain, certain things, economy of space, um, making everything operationally efficient and giving that feeling of, of being in a comfortable, enjoyable space, a well-lit space, sure. right? And then making sure that the establishments can still get the turntables and get people in and out efficiently and effectively. And those are big things to take into, into account when you're, when you're designing a space, are they not? Yeah, they certainly are. But I think that uh, certainly with these guys, they're, they're interested in the, ex the experience that the user has. And whatever that experience is, of course, they want to turn tables over. That's the nature of the business, and they're in it to make to to do good business in the in the hospitality. But they're mostly concerned with the environment and the experience that they have on every level. So, from a design, from like I said, the architecture, the design, the quality of the the finishes, the um, the the service experience that they're, all of their, their people have with the patrons, the food, everything plays into experience, the vibe, the music, the, the, all of it is part of it. And I think that's ultimately what they're striving for is because when they strive for this high level of the experience, it makes people come. It makes people want to be there. It's like where everybody wants to be. And then they have a line out the door. And so the turnover certainly is important to them, but when they've, when they've got a place that is just firing on so many cylinders like that, it's just people want to be there. They just want to be a part of that vibe, and they'll do whatever they can to be there. So, so knowing that with, with a project like this, where, where do you start? Um, well, each, I mean, certainly like all of our projects, place inspires us so we think about place um but you know we're 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 constantly you know we were a part of kind of evolving their brand a little bit where they were at a place where um they were sort of getting into some locations that were different a little a little higher prestige 
kind of locations. And so we kind of help them take their brand and elevate it to this next level. Um, and they're sort of in a similar place now where they have a couple of different brands that we're, we're working on. And, um, you know, each, each place certainly inspires us. We're doing a new one um, in Kelowna, which is a resort town in, in uh, British Columbia. And that place is, uh, it's, you know, it's an inspiring place right on a lake. And it's taking over an old place that um, was kind of the institution of the, of the resort town. And we're basically using that as a springboard for it to be the new institution for the next 30 years for the for the town so um you know it's kind of inspiring to to be involved in a brand that has that kind of cachet and also for us to be putting a a kind of a landmark um piece of architecture there that will you know going to stand the test of time it's pretty exciting opportunity so when you get a new restaurant to do do you you go in and you you research the city a little bit you you figure stuff out yeah, I mean, we're, we're always constantly, no matter what the type of project is, we're always searching for inspiration from place, um, from the people. Um, you know, we try and f- kind of absorb and what we can from the location and the space and the place and the people to inspire us. Um, you know, because they're, you know, they're, they're definitely looking to make their spaces unique for each one of their locations. That's front front of house. Is back of house the same? Or yeah, their engines are pretty the same. They're you know, all the, the same. Yeah, they 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 kind of put that. I mean, that works for them from an operational perspective, so that their engines are all the same. Well, I'm just curious if you if you get to experiment at all with working designing a commercial kitchen. Not really. I mean, that's not really our. We're not we're not commercial kitchen designers. I certainly know a lot more about commercial kitchens than I ever thought I would. I was going to say, how can you not be at this point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, 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 you learn the pieces of the engine. Um, and we know enough uh, We know enough where we can lay something out, but there's, there's a lot of other uh, very talented people that get involved in our projects too that really can kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it. We know, we know the engine very well. Um, but we're, you know, we leave that up to the, I mean, it's like, I know how to cook around a residential kitchen. I don't really know the operations of cooking in a commercial kitchen with, you know, 15 people on a line. Well, it's very different. I, yeah, very different and probably very similar in some, in some sure. ways. But I was going to ask you. If well, even more important, the, the, you know, the, you know how the flow of a residential kitchen needs to work in order for it to operate and be work well for cooking for a family of four. Well, you know, multiply that for a, you know, a restaurant that has 400 seats. Uh, those things need to be working and uh, flow really well in order for them to operate well and, and do that. Exactly. And I, I was kind of going in that direction, wondering if that experience shapes the manner in which you, you design a, a residential kitchen around a space because you know the the kitchen is it's not a secret that the kitchen is the heartbeat to a household it no. always it always has been no it always right has. but it's different now and i think it's different because manufacturers have learned that there's there's a stark efficiency to a to a commer- <clears throat> to a commercial kitchen right there's the the way that they work because they're they're just purely functional yeah but a, a lot of the design has been lost in that to make it so purely functional and cold and stark because it's just efficient. But they've learned, and that's why now you know you see refrigerators with glass fronts. Sure. Where you know in the past it's a residential refrigerator because nobody opens it, so you don't have to see what's behind it. Right. But now you've got the glass front, you've got the warming drawers and the cooling drawers, which means that if you've got a dishwasher in a drawer and you've got a you know a warming drawer, you can take things off the walls. You can put them in unused cabinet space and take advantage of additional views or additional countertops or additional other things. Yeah. Well, the, the kitchen, uh, the, the residential kitchen certainly is, is transformed into one of the premier social spaces of the house. Now, yeah. Right. It's where everybody gathers. And so it has to be functional and it has to work um, on a level that allows you to do the job that needs to be done in the kitchen, but it also needs a place to socialize and where the family gathers and where guests gather and all that kind of stuff and not interfere with that uh 
you know, that working aspect of the kitchen. I mean, it is probably the most functional part of a residence at this point, right? It's got all, it has to work in order to, to make that, that piece of the machine of living work. Um, but it also is where everybody gathers. So it's got, it's got a, it's got, that's why there are more inspiring spaces now. That's why they become the hub of the house, the, the, the social place where everybody gathers. So a couple of other projects I wanted to ask you about. Um, the Phelps residence. Yeah. So what went into this project? Well, uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a fun project down in Huntington Beach that we, uh, the client got to us through a friend of mine, actually, uh, funny little story, but uh, when we uh, lived in Larchmont, uh, we were sort of the only modern house in the neighborhood and people literally changed their walks around the neighborhood to kind of come by our house. So we made a lot of friends as a result of that. It was an all glass house. So we were very social people. We are very social people. And it created a really interesting dynamic, which I think uh, uh, was something that was not necessarily a mo motivation for the house. But anyway, we made a relationship with a, a person in the neighborhood who was inspired by the modern architecture and she's friends with the owner of the Phelps residence and uh, they were looking for an architect and they called her and she said uh, you should call David and uh, we connected and went down to go see the project and it was um, it was a fairly typical um, what I think in this Huntington area where it is um, like a 50s track house and it was pretty simple it was just two two boxes that were on the site. And um, the first thing we did when we got there was we just talked, and this is a philosophy we use a lot in our residential projects where instead of looking at the square footage of the house, we look at the square footage of the lot. So we really work um, tirelessly to engage the living experience into all parts of the property. So we really try to extend, I mean, we're so fortunate here in Los Angeles in Southern California to have climate that we can be outside 365 days a year. So we really push the envelope in our projects to extend that living experience out into the into the landscape. And so on one of the, the boxes, there was a giant fireplace that was right in the middle. And so we that was the first thing I said, that's got to go. And I think that was one of the bold moves that got him really excited. We said, that's got to go, and you've got to open up both of these sides of the living room so that now the backyard and the front yard can connect to one another. And that got him really excited. And he was, he was another one. He really he, he loves design. He loves architecture. And he, he had some very specific things, but he really let us go. He loved what we do. Um, and he just kind of let us let us go, and we had a really good time. So it was a it was a really great relationship with the client. Um, and I think what we did was trying to take that mid century sensibility and put it into today's to today's vernacular, and kind of do what we think the mid century sensibility would be today. Some of the things I've seen in your work on the residential side in particular is the use of glass. Yeah. And I, I love the manner in which you're, you're incredibly brave with the glass. You're incredibly creative with the glass. Um, and that leads to other sort of ideas that you can play with. You can do so much more when you're willing to be experimental, can't sure, you? Sure. So the, the, one of the, the concept homes that you had on the website that I saw was, um, I don't know the Creek Estate. Yes, that was I. That was just fun for me to look at. That was a that was a that was an exciting project. It was a small charrette that we did for a client over in Santa Monica, and um, it was a it was we there was a creek that ran through the the middle of the property. It runs down from um, uh, in Brentwood down through Santa Monica and goes right through the middle of the property, and. There was, um, it, it kind of goes on that philosophy where I was saying that we really look at the entire property. So we were like, the existing house was kind of engaging one side of the creek and there was this beautiful space on the other side of this creek that was, you know, they, they had these like little, um, you know, round seating areas and things like that. And I was like, we need to engage, the building needs to engage that side of the creek without 
being, you know, just a separate building over there. So we really, we, we, we just decided to go for it and say, I think what we need to do is the building needs to span over the creek and be something that really is just about, um, you know, embracing the creek, embracing the experience of the creek. And, um, you know, we had some topographical issues on the site because the street is up, you know, two stories above grade. So, you know, the, the sequence in which people, you had to move people through the site was, uh, was challenging. Uh, but I thought our, our, our solution was bold, exciting, um, and experimental, but also I think really grounded in um, some residential sensibilities that make it livable. Uh, that's what we really strive for. I mean, we want to be very modern. We want to be very experimental, but we want people to feel like these spaces are homes that they can live in, and then they and that it's not just it's not just architecture for the sake of architecture. It's we're building homes for people, and we want them to be livable experiences that people can engage in, and then um, because it's about a lifestyle too. It's not just about having a modern piece of art or a modern piece of architecture we're really trying to establish a lifestyle that's that's based in this you know california modernism and about a lifestyle and about and that is so much about being outside and being engaged with the landscape and that that solution really was really about engaging with the the landscape and the the topography and in this case the creek last question i have for you because we talk about that california modernism where do you think we are in the lifespan of this idea you know how eventually people sort of move on to something else Are, are we at the beginning are we in the middle are we where are we well I mean, I, I think I'll reemphasize my point is I don't I don't necessarily think that California modernism or mid-century modernism either is it's it's labeled as a style, but I look at it as a lifestyle. It's a and philosophy. It's, and it's a philosophy yeah. and a lifestyle. So I think that that lifestyle has uh, more opportunity to expand upon. Um, but that's where that's what people want to dig into. They don't I think styles come and go and trends come and go but i don't think california modernism and that sensibility and that lifestyle is is about a trend it's about something that i think people can um really buy into and understand and when they experience it they're like i i want that lifestyle i want to live that way and i i think that's why i don't think it's going in. that's why i think it's had such a long run and i really don't think it's going anywhere and i think that uh there's a lot of opportunity to continue to expand on that notion and, and create some incredible um, spaces around those kind of philosophies. Very cool. And I, and I hope you're right, because I love what you're doing with it. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you for making the time. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for being an absolute joy to work with. Your partnership is greatly appreciated. Thank you, Thermosol, for your support of Convo by Design. And thank you for listening to the show, subscribing to the podcast, and coming out to our events. Thanks for listening, and until next week, be well, and keep creating.